Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey there, thanks for listening to Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. Got a great conversation for you today, trying to make several things simple. Planning a church, raising a child actor, harnessing creativity. Yeah, who's our guy? Joseph Barkley. He's a pastor and the father of a rising child actress, incredible talent, managing marriage, dealing with leading a church through COVID, and he's very, very creative. You're gonna love what he has to say. Whether you're a leader of a church or a leader in a church, whether you have a kid that is in acting or would aspire to be so, we're gonna go there. We're gonna talk about all those things that many of you may wonder about. I wanna tell you about some exciting news we've been promoting all through September. And that is that we are taking our book after Amen and we're discounting it to $12, cheaper than Amazon, but we're going to give all the profits to Saving Innocence. And that's an organization fighting to rescue kids from human trafficking. You may remember episode 162 with Alan Smith, their CEO, but if you go to pastorrustygeorge.com, type in the code word innocence, you can get one book for 12 bucks or two for 20, three for 30, four for 40, and I'll give you five for 50. Uh, with proceeds going to Saving Innocence. Boy, this is such a great organization. We are happy to partner with them and would love for you to be partnered with them as well. So limited number of books left. So go get yours today, PastorRustyGeorge.com and type in the code word INNOCENCE to make sure that you get your discounted rate, but also the profits are going to Saving Innocence. Well, today's episode again is brought to you by Red Letter Challenge. It is a great resource for your church. And let me just say to all pastors, you're looking for something for 2022 to kickstart your year, to get people back in groups, to reading the Bible, to taking Jesus seriously. Red Letter Challenge is your guide. So go to redletterchallenge.com slash rusty. They're going to send you a free copy of the study. Do it for yourself over the month of October and then order a whole bunch for your church in January. You're going to love it. You're going to love teaching through it. It's fantastic. Well, now we're going to jump into our episode, my conversation with church planner, a creative father of child actress, Joseph Barkley. Joseph Barkley, great to have you on the podcast. Any relation to Charles Barkley? I get asked that all the time and of course, no, but I like to joke that, yeah, he's a, he's like a distant relative and, you know, we're, you know, we're on the payroll a little bit, you know, we've, yeah. we're part of the posse. And, uh, you know, I say that jokingly, but two weeks ago I did get a piece of mail for Charles Barkley. Oh my goodness. For the Charles Barkley. And it happened to be accounting info. I did not open it up. I was, oh. you know, I wanted you to have plausible totally deniability, done that. Yeah. but through this weird little chain of, of connections, uh, we're, we somehow were somebody mixed up his address or at least one of his addresses with our home address. And I got, I got tax information for Charles Barkley sent to our home. That's hilarious. And he lives right down the street, doesn't he? Of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we all live just down the street from famous people here. In Absolutely. LA, right? Yeah. Well, Charles Barkley and uh pastor's salary, pretty compatible for the same neighborhood. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Um, okay, so the full name is Joseph King Barkley. Uh, what a great name. Um, tell me uh, why Joseph and you don't go by Joe or Joey and King, where'd that come from? 
Yeah, so I was Joe and Joey all the way through high school. And so if you you'll know when someone has met me by what they currently call me. And so mm. I have family, I've got lifelong friends who will still call me Joe or Joey, which I don't mind. But then when I went to college, I thought, man, this is a time for me to start over a brand new community of people. Yeah. And what better way to mark the turning over of a new leaf than to now go by Joseph? It just sounded so grown up. And so I did that. I actually, truly, I tried to get Ace to work briefly. I, I thought <laughs> if I could introduce myself as Ace, I'm not making that up either. Um, that's how cool I was. And well, because your middle name is King. Minutes. So you go Ace King. Yeah, I love it. I would have better luck going by my middle name. At least I had more credibility. Yeah. But Ace didn't stick. Joseph did. And now I, I certainly am not offended by if you call me something else, but I wouldn't know to answer it instinct answer to it instinctively. But yeah, so Joseph was, uh, you know, what I adopted when I was eighteen, went off to mm. college, and then the King part is a family name, uh, and I'm not sure when it originated, but my dad's middle name is King, my grandfather's middle name is King, and my great grandfather who came over from Scotland, his name is Ivan King Barkley. Mm. And uh, man, if that's not a tough name, I don't know what is. Ivan King Barkley. Wow. So you are Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. Barkley is Scottish, huh. um, which is the the largest block of ethnic heritage that I have. Um, and then I also am a quarter Polish, oh. which I get from my paternal grandmother's side. Does that mean you can tell Polish jokes, Polak jokes? <laughs> But you, yeah, what percentage are you allowed to do that? Yeah, I don't think those fly anymore. Okay, well, Joseph King Barkley. Um, first of all, great to have you on the podcast. And uh, for the, our listeners, you and I connected because of you know, you were launching Radius Church down in LA, uh, North Hollywood to be specific, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know, you just wanted to kind of kick the tires at real life and see things that we've learned. And and I found myself learning more from you than you probably ever did from me. But what I'd love to know is what caused you to plant a church in LA? That seems like such a daunting task. And what causes someone to go, Yeah, I want to do that? <laughs> Yeah, well, it is specific to Los Angeles. There's a question about why would anybody plant a church, and you have to have a yeah. certain kind of crazy to do that. Mm -hmm. But specifically in Los Angeles, you know, I, out of college, I ended up getting a record deal, and I became a career musician for 10, 11, 12 years touring, and then I ended up writing songs for television. When my wife and I met, I was a musician. I wore eyeliner. I, I haven't done that in weeks, so I'm okay. I can admit that now. <laughs> but yeah, we started a family, and I thought the rest of my life, Rusty, was going to be right music. We lived in LA. All our friends were session musicians in Los Angeles. Uh, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I was passionate about it, but I had opportunity, and uh, and yeah, I was able to do that. And then we got really involved in a church in Hollywood. Uh, and it was a place where I could invite all of my friends who had never set foot in a church, never thought that a church would welcome them. Mm. And I got kind of addicted to that idea. So years later, and I'm cutting out large swaths of my story, but years later when, when Katie and I knew God wanted us to start a church, we wanted to start it in the neighborhood, or, you know, that, or at least in the region where so many people that we loved and had already invested in were living and working. Mm. 
and also in a place where there wasn't already a strong there wasn't strong or, or convenient access to uh, this kind of community for people so we found this spot kind of in the I, I think kind of the cultural center of the valley of Los Angeles that I know that your, your listeners are, are probably all over but in Los Angeles the valley is kind of the north side of Hollywood and it's where a lot of Hollywood people live it's where they have houses and send kids to high schools and and so the cultural center of that is Burbank and North Hollywood and and Studio City so we decided to start there um, it wasn't because it was going to be easy a lot of people live there but within the first 24 months of radius started starting five churches closed down mm-hmm. you know for various reasons um, thankfully that wasn't our story hasn't been our story we've thrived we've grown we've reached more people uh, than when we started and and we love it. Um, but I love artists because I am an artist. Uh, I, I love the artist mindset, the courage it takes to, to risk and to create in a world that uh, oftentimes is, it seems, encouraging you to just repeat mm-hmm. and to stay comfortable. Artists are those who help us think bigger. Mm. And I think whether they know it or not, are helping us see a little spark of who God is mm-hmm. because they help us acknowledge that, yes, there is beauty in the world and not just routine. Um, there are There is an expanse of wonder and curiosity that I think is implanted in every human soul that ultimately can only be satisfied in that relationship that we can find in God, with God, but we the artists are the ones I think oftentimes that leave the breadcrumbs for us to find it. So I just love investing in those lives. And, um, and then I also love serving in a city that the world pays attention to Hmm. the things that we do in Los Angeles are, are sought after are copied are consumed by people all over the globe. And Mm -hmm. man, the, the exponential possibility of that impact is pretty exciting. If I have one life to give, that's, it's not a bad place to invest it. And what a what a great way to sum that up. Let, let me let me drill down on a couple things there. I think we tend to think that church planters are people that have grown up in the church, went to some kind of seminary, and went out and planted a church, or they worked in a church for a while. They were a youth pastor, and then they decided to go plant a church. Your story's different. You worked in Hollywood. You worked in mm-hmm. the industry, and then decided to plant a church. Um, you know, for anybody listening out there that's working in any other area of ministry and might be feeling that tug to get into vocational ministry, mm-hmm. um, pluses and minuses of jumping right in to planting a church versus going on staff at a church and working in another area, mm-hmm. uh, what would you say to encourage them? What would you say to caution them? Initially, what I would say to encourage them is uh, even if it does not ultimately uh, result in a church being planted, God is birthing something in your life that is meant to impact other lives. Mm. And a lot of times, right, God may lead us. I I think about that story where Philip was called to Gaza, and on the way there, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And the way we're told about it in Acts is that he, he meets this Ethiopian leader, leads him to Jesus, and then the account tells us that Philip is no longer there. And we don't know if poof he took off or he just left suddenly. 
but the story never says that he made it to Gaza. Hmm. But that's how the story started is Philip has this clear sense that God's calling me to go to Gaza, but on the way there, I have this divine encounter. That's the whole story. And sometimes I wonder if God just says, I need you to go. We sense, oh God, you're prompting me to do something crazy or you're prompting me to God just wants to get us in motion when the divine encounter actually may be something that's between here and where we thought we were going to end up. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say to encourage them is, wow, if God's birthing something new and you pay attention to that, but don't feel like you have to have all the answers and know exactly what it's going to look like and maybe be slow to label it right away and do those things that wise people before us have been doing for, for generations. Get wise counsel around you, people who want God's best for you. Um, but but aren't afraid to think big, mm-hmm. you know. Um, look at the opportunities around you. Is there some even small version of an opportunity to to experiment with this idea? Mm. Um, bathe this sucker in prayer. Um, not just you, but people around you praying for you. Look at the fruit that God has already produced in your life, and does it look like the kind of fruit? Maybe small versions of it, or just a little bit of it that that He may want to produce through you if this new idea um, materializes. And then honestly, and I love this about what God's told us throughout scripture, and certainly Jesus modeled this a lot, is what do you want? Hmm. Jesus asked people that all the time. What do you want? So look at that desire. I I think sometimes people go into ministry out of a sense of guilt or compulsion, Hmm. out of a sense of maybe dad did this, and this is kind of a family thing that we do. Um. But some of the most successful leaders I know, especially in this last year, Rusty, I'm sure you could relate to this, when the challenges have been great and every week seems like a new surprise and a new cataclysmic event, Mm. I I have come back to, I think, that godly unction, that desire that he gave me way down deep. Um, And that has given me the, the passion and the fortitude to make those hard decisions and take those risks and continue to make progress. And so if you don't have that, if the idea to church plant comes from something else, then I would strongly caution against moving towards that. That's such a great word. I, I tell guys all the time, if you don't have a clear call, do not do it. Because in the dark night of the soul, which we've all had, the only thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is knowing I know I'm supposed to do this. Yeah, right. Um, if you think you're supposed to have all the answers before you do it, you're ne- you'll never do it. Um, and there is no silver bullet, so it's a matter of just being used. I love that story about Philip. I'd never thought about it that way. What a what a great great insight to that passage. Yeah. Well, this this past year has been uh, crazy for all churches, for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine um, I, somebody said it this way: uh, We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. So, uh, you know, the way that a church in Atlanta, Georgia dealt with the pandemic or Uh uh, Dexter, Kansas or in (laughs) North Hollywood are a little bit different. So, sure. uh, And I would even think where how we dealt with it in Santa Clarita Mm -hmm. is different than how you dealt with it um, in North Hollywood. Tell me about your congregation, because they're pretty young, they're pretty progressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did they view the pandemic differently? And what did you have to take into consideration uh, that maybe the rest of us didn't? Well, let me just really quickly, as an aside, maybe this helps other leaders who are listening. I need to admit that there were several times in this last year 
that I sure wanted to be in somebody else's boat. Yeah. We are all in the same storm. We were all in different boats, but how often this year I was tempted to say, man, it's gotta be so much more stable in that guy's boat. Yeah. It's gotta be so much easier. I bet the people in that guy's boat, that girl's, that woman's boat are so much more supportive mm-hmm. and helpful than the people I'm sailing with. And of course, you and I know that's not true. Every boat's chopping its own way and it's got its own tensions and mutinies and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's helpful for leaders to, to hear it, to normalize it, to know that every single leader, maybe not all of them wanted to jump ship and a lot did certainly. And that I'm grateful that was not a temptation of mine. I didn't want to stop sailing, but I didn't want to quit my job. But man, there was a lot of times this last year where I thought, I, I wish I was on that guy's boat looks like a yacht compared to my little, yeah. <laughs> my little rowboat I'm in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I have the privilege of leading, uh, within a community and a lot of people who go to our church would probably politically, I would say even socially, uh, philosophically for those who are Jesus followers, I would say even theologically, I don't know that a majority, maybe a majority would label themselves progressive. And so, you know, that can mean any number of things, but I, I will say that when it came to uh, COVID itself, you know, uh, while other churches may have felt the pressure to get back into the same room and they saw some of the restrictions and closures that were happening in their local communities as an attack on the church, that is not what our our people defaulted to. There were a few, but it was very, very such a small minority. Mm-hmm. So there was not this aggregate pressure for us to meet again. Mm. Our people were very, very slow to suggest it. And they still are, even as it seems we're reemerging. And certainly plenty of churches around us are beginning to gather in person. We've got plans for it here coming up soon. They're still very, very slow to suggest it. We did a lot of surveys and checking in with people in our small groups. And, you know, ah, just I, we're going to take our time. They, they actually did... A lot of them assume that churches that were choosing to meet in person um, quickly, uh, many of our people saw that as uh, it was creating some tension with the message of wanting to love our neighbor and and why would you do this and put people in harm's way? And, And we could talk all day about whether or not that was logically true, but that was the impression. That was their sort of operating assumption that if, if you were going to meet before the governor said we could meet or in a way that wasn't uh, universally preferred by our community, if people, movie theaters weren't doing this and schools were, if churches were the first ones to do it, then that was an act of harm. Mm-hmm. That was our people that we were serving. Um, one of the things I loved uh, as I experienced it this last year is I, I have always found that our people that we serve in radius, we're only you know six and a half years old, but in that time is our people can tend to be more responsive to current events. And that can be a good thing and can be a bad thing. So they see a headline and their hearts break and they want to do something. I think that's good. I think that's hmm. part of the image of God in us. But you can create a lot of sideways energy. You could actually do more harm as you're trying to do good. You can neglect things that you really are positioned to help while you're trying to, you know, 
lend your voice to some national problem that's going on. So that was our sort of natural instinct Mm -hmm. as a community. Radius was to respond to headlines and respond to current events. So this last year was particularly challenging as a pastor because what I was witnessing was a, a community of people that are part of Radius who don't have who did not have access to that interpersonal iron sharpening iron mm. that we all need. So it made us even more vulnerable to lopsided thinking and unchecked biases and reactive um, or, and reacting rather than slowing down and assessing. And we, we became, we were not slow to speak mm-hmm. and slow to become angry and quick to listen. We weren't. If all of us right now are victims of the algorithms of social media and the internet, this last year removed some of the mechanisms that we have in our lives to counteract that, Yeah, the diversity of voices that we have around. And so it did create a certain mania and, and almost insanity for some of our people um, that, that I wanted to pay attention to and try as best I could to shepherd away from and expand their thinking and slow down our emotions so so we were vulnerable to that maybe maybe even more so than some other communities Mm. so i said a lot in there but that's that's part of what makes up our people no that's really good i wanted to ask you about just the the reaction um i I know a lot of pastors that feel that weight of you got to say something you got to take a stand you got to get your word out and there's a variety of ways to do that and most people think the only way that a pastor can do that is to preach on it. Um, how do you how do you respond to that? When do you know it's time to take a whole Sunday and talk about this rather than oh, I'll post something, I'll write a blog, um, or I'll let it I'll let it just kind of go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't have a hard and fast grid on it. So a lot of it is just prayerful discernment. I've got great leaders around me on my board and on the staff team, and we check in with each other. But it this last year, there were a couple of instances where we like, all right, stop the presses. I'm calling an audible. Let's talk on this. Mm. Um, yeah. And and that was when a sort of Venn diagram seemed to emerge. Yeah. And it's and that Venn diagram for us, and and again, this isn't a hard and fast policy, so I'm kind of formulating it as i'm as i'm saying it one would be is nearly everyone that we would want to impact this week thinking about only this or almost only this whether whatever they think about it is this just becomes so central to their attention span that it would be hard for them to pay attention to anything else that i say hmm. which is hard that's a you know you're just trying to observe it and see if that's the case um i don't always respond when that's the case in fact, rarely, but that's one. The second one is, are the people that I get to influence, that I have the privilege of influencing, um, potentially, um, could potentially either be confused or looking for clarity, would be, is this an opportunity for them to mature in how they process these things? Okay, maybe that's something I can speak into. And then that third part, and this is a big one, is is there a potential bridge between what the world is talking about and what God desires? Hmm. And I'm a bit more opportunistic when it comes to that in my thinking than, than maybe some other um, 
preachers and communicators and, and certainly other churches. And sometimes I, I might have even spoken too soon or, or maybe too often on some things. But Rusty, I'm always trying to find that connective tissue yeah. where oh, that thing, even if we would try and solve it differently, mm-hmm. the thing that is compelling us to try and solve it, guess what? God is, is solving that. Mm. Or God wants that for this community. God wants that for you too. So we have the same pain, even if we don't have the same plan. So could we start with the pain that we're all feeling? Mm. And can I somehow draw a ligament to a God who can perfectly address that? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. I think our tendency is just to just to take a stand or to speak out against um, or... Uh, just to kind of shout louder than everybody else. And I love that idea of, of the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to shift gears just a little bit because I thought this was so brilliant. Um, as this is something you're doing and it's about how you're looking for space. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of church planters out there that, Hey, they survived COVID, but they, uh, <laughs> they, they didn't, um, you know, they didn't keep their place, meaning they were meeting in a movie theater or a high school or elementary school. And now yeah. not everybody's so, you know, interested in letting people move back into those spaces, or it's a chance to find a new location. You had such a great idea on this of just looking for potential current church buildings that may be needing a new season of ministry. Would you walk us through a little bit of that grid of how you've been looking for a new place for Radius? Yeah, God put us in a really unique position. When COVID hit, we were meeting in a public high school, incredible host, East Valley High School in North Hollywood. And of course, that became inaccessible to us when everything shut down. Uh, it also became quickly apparent to us that it was not going to be available anytime in the foreseeable future. And in fact, the way I articulated it to our team and to the board is we will probably want to meet again before East Valley High School is willing to host. Sure. We needed to face reality. Uh, that could look, the, the solution to that challenge could, could be uh, many things. Um, but we, from early on, in the COVID season over a year ago, we were already starting to think about, huh, God, what, what would you, as wise stewards, what does this current challenge make possible? Because mm. I know you're doing something. I know you're providing for everything you're calling us to do. What does this current challenge make possible for us? So, um, we began to explore relationships, some of which we already had and some of which we initiated with local churches and local leaders to see if there wouldn't be a mutually beneficial way of sharing resources that were already being used for the work of Jesus in our city. Uh, We found that there were many churches who uh, were in a position where they owned their property outright and yet we're not in a position to maximize the use of it. Maybe it would be a blessing for them if another community came in and we are meeting at times that they were not using the facility. Uh, Maybe we could bless them. You know, they have a supply and we have a demand, Mm. Um, but we have talents potentially and they have needs 
So could we offer a way to bolster your staff or to augment what you're doing uh, for your mission and your strategy? Um, we also, as we talked to these local leaders, explored, hey, would it create more local awareness of Jesus by turning the lights on more nights of the week? Uh, if we're all, we're all just little outposts of the same big work. And so I, I found great, so thankful to find so many mature, generous leaders in our city. And you know, a lot of them, Rusty, who were so open-handed and so, you know, the words we use, we would say kingdom-minded, you know, is the mm-hmm. phrase we would use to say they were so much more about their little 501c3 and so much more about God's big work that he's doing in all of us. So that has become an opportunity for us uh, moving forward. In fact, the very first in-person gathering we're going to have, and we do a little shout out here, is in the facility of Story City Church in Burbank. They're sharing their facility with us um, so that we, Radius, can meet for the first time in person in the latter part of June. I'm not sure when this airs, but that's um, that's our first in-person gathering. Now, I want to wind back a little bit to... Uh, give you a little like a glimpse of our playbook on how we identified which churches we we could reach out to yeah if we didn't already know them personally because those relationships were also important to us uh i had a, a member of my team uh start to explore church websites and social media accounts and youtube channels and facebook pages and start to look for several data points that may help us assemble a, a profile of where that church is at and, and maybe what that church is trying to accomplish or um, maybe needs that that church has and try to intuit it a little bit before we would uh, introduce ourselves and, and prayerfully explore if a partnership was possible. So for instance, um, we would look for outdated websites. We would look for social media accounts that were either non-existent or had not been really utilized in quite a long time, or this is an interesting little data point, but we found it to be helpful, ones that you could tell were very, very active, and then something happened at some point when the social media account just became copying and pasting from like the U-vert, like the, the sort of pre-baked social media images. Yeah. And you could find that potentially they might have had some active engagement and volunteers that were doing that before, but Maybe they have less of that enthusiasm right now, or or maybe less people engaged. So that could be a sign of a church that's that's you know struggling potentially, or a church that's sort of regrouping a little bit. Um, we looked for churches that had a pastor in residence as the lead pastor, mm. uh, so like an interim position. You know, men and women who were serving faithfully to help a church weather a season, but they were probably exploring what the next chapter looked like. So they were already in sort of a discernment phase. And maybe, maybe we could be the solution to the, to the problem that they're facing. We're the answer to the question that they're asking. Mm-hmm. Look for that. Um, Pastor Emeritus is another mm. um, title that we looked for where maybe uh, the founding pastor came back into the platform to, to help them navigate a difficult season uh, maybe they lost leadership for various reasons. Mm. Um, so those were some of the indicators that we um, were looking for online. And that helped us identify, at this point, we've identified 26 local churches Wow. that, that may or may not be in a position where this is um, 
helpful for them or fruitful. But we thought that that helped us narrow down the field because there's certainly plenty of good work going on in LA and I didn't want to make hundreds of phone calls. Yeah. But, um, but I'm okay with making 26 of them. If it's something that would just be, we could celebrate it. What a huge win for everybody. If we think creatively and, and this breathes new life and starts a really exciting new chapter for not only for that church, but certainly for radius too. how exciting would it be for us to be able to say, Hey, we right now are standing on the shoulders of giants, Mm. people that for generations have been giving and serving and sacrificing to give us the opportunity to live out this mission today. Yeah. Now it's our turn. That's, that's really exciting for my young congregation. Well, that's such a great perspective on this as well. It's not a hostile takeover. It is a continuation (laughs) of what God is already doing. Hey, everybody, let me take just a moment to interrupt our conversation to tell you about something really cool we're doing in September. Uh, We want to support this great organization called Saving Innocence. They work to rescue kids from human trafficking in Southern California. And so we want to benefit Saving Innocence by um, giving profits from After Amen uh, to them. So if you will go to PastorRustyGeorge.com and buy a copy of After Amen for the reduced rate of 12 bucks, it's I think over 15 on Amazon, we're going to give profits to Saving Innocence, a great way to support Saving Innocence and maybe a great gift to give somebody else. That's the book, After Amen, What to Do While Waiting on God. For $12, PastorRustyGeorge.com. Simply use the promo code SI, the letters SI for Saving Innocence, and we'll be able to support this great organization called Saving Innocence. All right, back to our show. Okay, Joseph, I want to shift uh, gears again, and I want to talk about parenting, um, specifically parenting child actors. Um, yes. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, you have a, a couple of actors, actresses in your family, um, and you've had to navigate a lot of crazy schedules and all. I mean, parenting's hard enough, goodness. Uh, it's one thing to exchange <laughs> carpool for, oh, my child's in Canada for six months filming a movie. Uh, so tell us about, I mean, I think there's people out there that think, boy, this will be a lot of fun for my kid. And then they get into it and realize this is really, really exhausting. <laughs> tell me the mentality behind you and your wife deciding this is good for our family or we can make this work. Mm-hmm. And then some of the logistics of how you do make it work. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. And I, I, I would not at all uh, purport to be an expert. Um, As I've heard many leaders before me say, I probably will not preach a full parenting series until my kids are grown and we see see how well I do. Because the series, well, I'll preach that series one day, but it's either going to be, you know, (laughs) how to do it or how not to do it. Yeah, what's the old joke that uh, before you have kids, it's always 10 ways to have a great family and then after you have kids, it's <laughs> 10 ways to survive. <laughs> Just how to get through the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And we're still, every day is, it sometimes, it, it, in some ways it feels every day like we are creating new ideas and trying new things. So I, yeah, we are in a unique position in some ways because our daughters happen to be into this thing called acting and, and not... Uh, and doing it on a, a professional level, even as children. Um, and I will say first, just for those 
parents potentially listening and, and wondering if their child should get into this, I'll tell you just our experience of, of why we support this is our daughters desire to do this the same way that I've witnessed other children desiring to do soccer mm-hmm. and desiring to do um, play the piano. Um, so it, it's a mix of some baked in talent uh, some opportunity and their own desire. But then we of course have to nudge them into like, we all need that nudging into the discipline, the tedium of it, the hard work of it. Like we would do with any of our children as they're pursuing something that we want to see them excel at because, so it's an opportunity for the character to grow as much as their opportunities to grow or for their hobbies to expand. So that's us. Katie and I do not care if our daughters tomorrow say, we hate this. We want to play softball. Great. Let's do that. Um, so we have supported them. Uh, they, they, we've seized opportunities on their behalf as they've desired it. Uh, and that was starting in a local children's community theater. And then we had a friend who had an, an agent. Of course, we live in Los Angeles. So you spit in any direction, you're going to hit an agent. And so... Uh, or a pool cleaner. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's the same person. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's how you know you live in LA is when you have a job and a career. Well, I'm an actor, but my job is I'm actually a server. That's so true. <laughs> uh, but the, yeah, so they signed on with a great agent who um, manages a lot, of, who is an agent for a lot of kids um, and cares a lot about the family dynamic. Um, not Not more than, they've got to pay the bills. I understand they need to, they want to find these kids work, but they really are, they work with the family to, uh, to assess the kinds of things they're going to audition their kids for. So Katie and I have very clear values for our daughters and there's things that they will not read for or audition for. Um, so that was, that was our path. And then both of them very quickly were able to do a mix of voiceover and commercials. And then right now, um, uh, one of our daughters, our youngest, recently got back from being in Toronto for nearly five months, as you alluded to earlier. And she was shooting a feature film. Um, and that was so exciting. She's the lead in this film. It was a big deal for a 12 year old kid. Uh, it's going to be released next year. And that's so exciting and sounds so wonderful. But on the home front, due to COVID, we were not able to see them. So we couldn't be in the same room. Uh, we FaceTimed every single day, but uh, nearly five months without my wife and my youngest daughter. So we were careful about signing on to do this. Uh, we ultimately made the decision predicated on the strength of our marriage mm. and uh, and frankly, the, the position we were in as a family. My wife um, is not employed in the traditional sense. Uh, she works like crazy to support our family and manage the home. But she was able to do this. I have a strong relationship with my youngest daughter and a great relationship with my eldest. And so it became a really special time for uh, both of us, the parents to have like a, a man on man defense, but also investing in them. I think this will be an unforgettable time uh, for us in that sense. Also, because of COVID, a little gift happened that our youth ministry went online, and it was not before. 
And so my daughter in Toronto did not miss a week of being involved in the youth group and being with her friends, at least virtually. But that's how everybody was with each other for mm. quite a while. So she she was still discipled in that way. Mm-hmm. So that was it. So the, all those things coming together made it seem like this was a, a calculated risk, certainly, and some challenges involved, but but something we would support and we were we were on board with. So that's that's what we just did. Now to zoom out, what does it mean? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I think about this a lot because I've been cautioned by well-meaning people that this will ruin my kids. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that that's partly because saying my kids are working actors in Hollywood sounds to a lot of people like my child works with Santa Claus at the North Pole. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it, it just seems like such an otherworldly fantasy experience. And, you know, as Jesus followers <laughs> who sometimes worry that Santa is going to eclipse Jesus during Christmas. So... I think some of us, not me personally, but some people might want to leave him out completely. I think a lot of people say children should avoid being, quote, in the industry if they're going to have any shot at faith at all. Mm-hmm. Like that's where faith goes to die. It's not nurtured. Um, so when I talk about this with people, I try to think about ideas that might be universally helpful because there's a version of this in everybody's life. There's that thing we're afraid our kids will get exposed to mm. or that opportunity where we, we want to hold back until our kids are a little bit older. So here's a couple of things practically that Katie and I think through all the time as parents that help us make the most of this opportunity. The, the first one that comes to mind for me, and I hope this is tangible enough for the parents that are listening. One is if you nurture great conversations with your kids, you can worry less about what your kids are exposed to. Mm. I don't think I'm uh, revealing anything profound, but we live in a world now where you just cannot control the content they're going to be exposed to. Right. You can set up all the things at home and the boundaries. And we're not going to watch movies that are rated something. Right. But sorry, with the internet, with school, with mm-hmm. your neighbor, it's we just can't control it. Okay. Well, let's not live in fear. Let's think about how how can we proactively create great conversations. So even if our kids are exposed to something earlier than we desire for them to be exposed to, we're the first people they run to with their questions. Mm. So now I'm in a position, Katie and I are in a position where I get excited about what my kids might be prepared for Mm -hmm. in the future. They might be prepared to face precisely because of the unique experiences that they're having and what they're being exposed to. So rather than worry so much about protecting them, we try to proactively seize opportunities to create dialogue when we find out that maybe somebody said something or they heard a story or they're this person, you know, is, is living a certain way or, um, you know, they read something in a script potentially we didn't catch it before to expand and mature their critical thinking about it. Hmm. And even their compassion for other people who, who don't look like you or believe like you or think like you, but man, they're worth loving to death too. Jesus proved it. Right. So I think about what does this environment create for them? What opportunities mm-hmm. does this create for them rather than what do we need to protect them from? Not as much. What do we need to protect them from? The second thing that I would say, Rusty, is to focus on opportunities more than threats. And I think for your listeners now, they probably get a sense that that's usually my default anyway. I try to think that way. So in other words, what does this make possible hmm. for them? Um, if they were to model 
live out the fruit of the spirit. How would that stand out in this context differently than another one? Hmm. Um, and we've seen that time after time after time, and, and it may seem cliche for a lot of people listening, but I cannot tell you how powerful it is to have buckets of conversations with so many people that are, that say, what is different about you? What is different about your family? What do you, what are you working with? Cause I would love to have some of that for the life that I'm having to live through. So those are huge opportunities. Mm. Um, and then the last thing I'll say <laughs> uh, is if your focus as a family, as best you can is on Jesus you can worry less about Santa. <laughs> like, yeah. let Santa be a part of it. Yeah. Because if if somehow we're celebrating, if they're seeing Katie and I model Christ in our own lives, wrestle with, repent, live by faith, I'm just not really that worried about Santa being in their lives too. Mm-hmm. And and that's been serving us well. You think about it. I mean, the the things that that your daughter is exposed to on a movie set, especially because you've chosen the type of movie she's going to be a part of Mm -hmm. might actually be a little bit better than the things she'd be exposed to at a public high school. That's right. Um, At least you've got some, uh, some mature adults around. So that helps (laughs) out. That's absolutely true. And and I'll just say this for the record, for those who are are unaware, I know Rusty, you are just because you have so many relationships, people who work in and around the industry, but these are incredible. There are so many incredible men and women. Yep. Uh, who who create the stories that we watch. Um, it is it's such a beautiful, vibrant, creative, courageous community of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a privilege to get to be around them and in their lives. So it's it's been far more positive than it has been challenging for us, truly. Mm. That's great. Well, uh, I, I want to ask you one last thing, because every time I, I talk with you or hang out with you, I'm always amazed by, and this is the artist in you, hmm. by your creativity. Um, but creativity kind of is a double-edged sword, because people who are creative <laughs> can be overwhelmed with ideas, and that can overwhelm people close to them. Certainly your staff may feel like, oh my goodness, he's an idea a minute and we got to keep up with all this. <laughs> um, or it could be even overwhelming to you because you feel like mm. I got to keep up with all this. I'm a leader. And so I've got to follow through and be true to my word. So I've got to execute everything that I've just brainstormed out. How do you manage uh, the, the, crea- the creativity level that you have with also the need to get some things done? <laughs> well, I feel like my staff or maybe my wife has talked to you before this interview and armed you with this <laughs> I'm question. asking for a friend. <laughs> That's a spectacular question. I am an, an idea a minute guy. Um, and I, this is going to be the most boring answer to a, a question about creativity that you will hear. And it needs to be. Because creativity by itself, unchecked, creates chaos and confusion and burnout. I have openly told my staff and my board that one of my spiritual gifts is complexifying. Uh, I have this magical ability to take a straight line and add zigzags. Um, (laughs) So That's good. uh, 
this was reported to me. Uh, we'd love to nurture transparency, and our staff has told me, hey, man, cool ideas. Could we finish the last one before we start a new one? Um, wow, I've heard that one. Yeah. And so to serve them well, and frankly, to just be excited with results rather than just ideas, mm -hmm. uh, there are a few things that I have now repeatedly come back to. And I'm not executing on them perfectly, but I've seen, I've seen some progress. And I hope this is helpful for people listening who also feel like they have a thousand ideas bumping around in their heads. I have adopted that system of doing 90-day rocks. You know, that concept of, of saying yes to the main things before you say yes to, in, to anything. To, yes to great things before you say yes to good things. Um, so we together as a staff develop rocks for our entire organization and then rocks. And we try to limit it to three to five for each individual team member. And the rocks of the entire organization, the rocks of each individual team member have to uh, cascade from the rocks of the organization. So I can't be doing my little side project. My rocks need to contribute to the big rocks. Then I, for me, I print it out. I frame it. <laughs> I look at it every single day. Yeah. Um, I'm privileged to have an assistant. I tell my assistant um, to hold me accountable. So things don't get added to my calendar unless they can be justified by my rocks. And then we do a staff check-in every single week. In staff meeting, we go down the line. How are you doing on this rock? Um, and the habit, the discipline is we have to resist adding any new things. And I'm speaking to myself. Any new things until we have crushed the existing goals. Um, and let them breathe a little bit. It's not enough to just finish that project. We have to see the results from it. Let it breathe a little bit. That's good. That's the first one is those 90 day rocks and, and only 90 days because I, I found that projecting s projecting specifics beyond 90 days is, um, is pretty frustrating because the world changes so rapidly mm -hmm. and the opportunities change. Yeah. The 10 year plan's kind of gone, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Um, great for aspirational thinking for sure, but yes. pretty useless for Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely i found the big big idea in 10 years is great but how we get there got no idea i mean who would have thought i have no idea COVID. who would have thought online ministry who would have thought oh i saw it coming Russ, you didn't you didn't see COVID coming <laughs> well that's because you're an artist you know you know things the rest of us don't <laughs> well my prayer life is so off the charts it's oh, so powerful god tells me these things i know <laughs> um well, I got a couple more things if that's helpful. So yeah, the 90 please. day one and, and the the next couple are, are really productive for me. Um, one is I have had to have the discipline of separating creative and logistic conversations, meetings. Mm. So we'll have a brainstorm session or creative meeting and we cannot let logistics bleed into that and vice versa. If this is a logistics meeting, this is not a time for new ideas. So you put them on a shelf, you, you have a bucket file for that kind of stuff. When they mix, and I, I'm not the only one to, to, to experience this, when those things mix, I find that one always wins over the other. So the logistics bleeding into a creative meeting stifles great, cool, new, innovative ideas. Creativity in a logistics meeting means the logistics don't get done, plans don't get executed. So I have to separate those. And who's in those meetings are very, very distinct based on their own contributions. And that actually leads me to the third thing that's been helpful. I've experienced a lot of fruit from this is I try to to work alongside for the creative side of me I have to work alongside one or two that's it 
one or two mature but dangerous thinkers. And I use that word because it helps me identify who this person is. I bet every leader listening can identify a mature, dangerous thinker. That person, that one or two men or women, men or women around you who are like, they think scary. It makes you nervous, but kind of excited. Um, so these are people who can help me curate great ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's plenty of people who help discourage you from trying new things. Um, or tell you why it's going to be hard to pull it off. And those people are important down the river a little bit. Um, But you don't want that discouragement early on, especially if you're wired like me and like you. So what I've done now is I've created monthly space. Mm. And these are not staff members. Um, uh, They don't necessarily have to be on your board or anything like that. But but I've created monthly space where I get in the room with, with these two people. We zoom out. We dream like crazy. Uh, and then what ends up happening is, you know, not every month, but every once in a while, a really cool idea possibly for the, our current reality um, emerges from those meetings. Mm, I love that. It's just a joy, too. Yeah. I just love it. Well, I love the parameters you put on your meetings because I think we try to do all of them in one. You know, let's brainstorm for 10 minutes and now let's start executing. And it's just a whiplash people can't always keep up with. Um, and you usually don't, doesn't yield great fruit. This is, <laughs> this right. is great stuff. Joseph, it's always fun to hang out and talk. Uh, but I think you've been such a blessing to our listeners, no matter what kind of field that they're in or what season of life they're in, we all get overwhelmed with life and family and, uh, problem solving. And, and, and this was a really, really helpful stuff. So thank you. Thank you, Rusty. What a privilege to have this conversation with you. Truly. Well, praying for you guys for Radius as uh, by the time this airs, you will be back in your facility. You will have gone multi-site running 20,000 and we will see you on Oprah's Super Sunday or whatever it's called. (laughs) Love it. Appreciate your brother. (laughs) You too. Well, thanks for listening. As always, you've probably got somebody in mind that you think, boy, they would benefit from this. Would you share this with them? And you can just uh, click the share button on your app, wherever you uh, get your podcast downloads, send that to them. And if you'd leave a review or rate the podcast, that would mean the world to me. I'm so grateful for all those who have already done that because it helps get the word out there about what we're trying to do. I'd love to hear from you and your questions. You can DM me on Instagram at Rusty L. George. Next week, we are kicking off the start of the month as we've been doing the entire year on mental health. And we've got leadership coach and consultant Jenny Katrin, who's just an incredible, incredible thought leader uh, in our stratosphere right now. And she's helped out countless churches and leaders and just an incredible leader herself. And she's going to talk to us about moving from languishing to thriving post-pandemic. So you're going to love to hear that episode. So that's coming up next week. Well, until then, keep it simple, and we'll see you next time. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.